Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. continue this morning. We started a couple weeks ago on this series called, You Have Heard That It Was Said, But I Tell You. These are pretty famous words that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and he goes through some different things in there and really challenges our thinking on what it means to live kingdom life out. But I love the saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. See, in this series, what I want to do I think it's all about a better interpretation of the scriptures. Now, how many know that we, do, we all don't have it all? I mean, that's why there's like 31 to 40,000 different denominations, because we all have different interpretations. So I'm not one to stand up here and say that I have the absolute correct interpretation. But I will say this, I believe where I am in my journey, it's the right place I should be. Because how many know that we're on a journey? And so we learn. Uh, if, if you're in the same place that you were two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, then there's a problem because we're not growing. We're not growing in knowledge. We're not growing in revelation. So this series is really about better interpretation of the scriptures. And I like to say this better theology through the eyes and the life of Jesus. I really believe that Jesus should be like the center point. He should be the lens that we view scripture through. This is what the apostles were doing. They would look at the life of Jesus, whom they walked with, whom Paul spoke with on the road to Damascus, and who spent several years, I believe, being downloaded some new covenant revelation by the Holy Spirit. But there was these changes being made, and they were interpreting things different than they did previously. Does that make sense? And so a real quick recap. Last week, we covered this in Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus said this to his disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I was, when I was younger, I used to think about that. I used to imagine like some glowing magic keys that would get me into heaven or something. But really what he's saying is, listen, the keys, the principles, the sticking points, I'm giving those to you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, which means right relationship. It's peace. It's joy. This is how it works. This is how we do it. Jesus actually wrote that song 2,000 years ago. But this is how we do kingdom. This is how kingdom is done. And then he says this, listen, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been what? loosed in heaven. Now listen, I've heard a lot of messages from this and, and good messages about praying and binding and loosing and spiritual warfare. But what is Jesus talking about? If we look back at this time, the Jews hearing this, the disciples who were Jewish would have immediately realized binding and loosing was a first century way of talking about interpretation. If you would ask any Jew at the time, what is binding and loosing? Oh, that's how we interpret scripture. When we come together in temple, we interpret scripture. In fact, Jesus said something really important. He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. Now at this time, which was pretty cool, they didn't have the opportunity like we do since the printing press to sit down and study a Bible. Now that's a great privilege. But they would have scrolls, and not even all the scrolls of the Torah or the prophets. And what they would do is they would have them in different temples, different portions of it, and they would read it. And guess what? They would read it together. They would study together. So someone may do the reading, 
And then someone else may say, wow, this is what I see. This is the interpretation of what this means. Now, if the rabbi was there or someone in authority didn't agree with what he was saying, they say, I'm sorry, you abolished the law. If they made an interpretation that they say, yes, yes, that's what it looks like to live out kingdom of God, they would go, today you have fulfilled the law. So Jesus literally was saying, I have not come to give you a wrong or bad interpretation. I've come to give you the proper interpretation. And how many know that God probably knows what he's talking about? And then look at this. He gave the disciples the authority to do the same thing. He says, you can bind and you can loose. What did Peter do when he had the vision on the roof? When he saw the food come down and in the vision it said, take and eat. And he goes, no, no, no. So for Peter, this was a big deal. It was rocking his boat, no pun intended, because he was a fisherman. But he sees this vision, and God says three times to him, do not call unclean what I've called clean. And shortly after, he's awakened from a nap by some Greeks or Gentiles who were considered unclean, who said, we need you to come to our master's home. And even when he goes in the home, he says... We aren't supposed to. It's against the law for us to come into the house of an unclean Gentile. Think about this. But he says, but God has shown me. You know what Peter was doing there? He was binding and loosing. He looked at what the Torah said and then what Jesus said and said, hmm, I'm going to go with Jesus. The Jewish council did the same thing with these Gentiles coming into the church. They were really trying to figure out, do they do the ceremonial laws? Do they still keep some of Judaism? Do they, do they get circumcised? And it's funny, one of the funniest statements in Acts to me is when they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they give a little list. But what I see there is people on a journey being real, going... I mean, think about this. These, this is the council going, well, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. You're like, are you sure? But they're on a journey. They're learning. So what were they doing? They were binding and loosing. They were interpreting scripture and even reinterpreting things according to what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Jesus tells his disciples that just like me, it's your turn to make decisions about what's written in the Bible. This is powerful. And it can be scary, can't it? But listen, The Holy Spirit's with us. So listen to his voice as you're reading scripture. Don't do it all alone. Do it in groups together. People you can trust to say, what does this really mean? So we have Jesus' first followers. They were binding and loosing. They were discussing and debating. They were wrestling. They were working out what kingdom life looks like wherever they found themselves. So maybe, just maybe, it's okay to ask questions. Maybe it's totally acceptable to look at different ways of interpreting the scriptures. Jesus did. His disciples did. Maybe we should as well. And so that's what this does. It drives you into the scriptures. If there's something you don't know or understand, then read it. Study it. I like what my friend, Pastor Jake Stringer, says. He goes, reading an English Bible is not studying the Bible. It was written in different languages. And now all of us through the internet have so much at our fingertips We can look up Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, meaning so much. So if you really want to know, dig in a little bit. Because I'm telling you right now, if you think that the Bible's boring, you're not reading it right. 
It is full of so much depth and goodness. And you can see the character of God and you can see people on their journey trying to figure out this God thing and this kingdom thing and spirituality and what it means. And sometimes they mess up and sometimes they're kind of there and sometimes they hit it spot on, just like you and me. But thank God for the Holy Spirit who's in all of us. Isn't that beautiful? So today I want to talk about something, and maybe this will rock your world a little bit, but this is just fun stuff to go through. I want to talk about the binding of Isaac. Say the binding of Isaac. Now many of us heard it referred to probably as maybe the offering of Isaac or the sacrifice of Isaac. I do love this Jewish term. They call it the binding of Isaac because he was bound, but he wasn't sacrificed, right? How many know the story? We're going to look at it here. Let's look at Genesis chapter 22, starting with verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Now, if you do some studies into this, it's pretty interesting because um, some scholars or even some rabbis would say that this wasn't a command in Hebrew as much as it was a request. God was saying, listen, do you trust me? then I'm asking that you do this, which makes me wonder if Abraham had the opportunity to say no. Another thing that's really interesting here, look at the breaks in speech. They tried to carry this over into English, but it says, take your son, break, your only son, break, whom you love, break, Isaac. Now, some scholars believe that this wasn't, we don't see Abraham's part of it, but they believe this was a conversation between God and Abraham. How many remember when Abraham was talking to God about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? And he actually had a conversation. God, listen, what if? I just think Abraham's awesome because he, he had this relationship with God that I believe we should where we can ask questions. I used to think it wasn't okay. I can't question God. And he's like, why not? What? Of course you can question me. Ask me questions. I got broad shoulders. You can, you can believe things about me that aren't even true. You can think that I cause kids to have cancer to teach their parents lessons, and I will still be with you because I'm on the journey because at some point I want you to see the true character of who I am. See, that's what's beautiful about God. That's what love does. See, a lot of us would be like, oh, you're talking about me like that? Out of here. Not God. But I think it's beautiful to see that this possibly could have been a conversation. So he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now here's the question. What kind of God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? If God came down to you today and said, hey, I want you to take your firstborn son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Don't answer out loud, but what would your answer be? Would it be an immediate yes? Would it be uh, no way? Would it be a what are you talking about? I want us to think about this. What would your answer be? Because that's really the question, right? People have wrestled with this story for centuries. Even for me, at some point, I came to this point where I wanted a better answer than God just wanted to see if Abraham had enough faith. You know, because, you know, when you're growing up in Sunday school, I mean, you, anyone remember the little felt boards and the little felt pieces that would stick up? And we'd have, you know, the felt piece up there we put up. It was really cute with Isaac bound in an altar and his dad with a knife getting ready to plunge it in. You know, it's like, that's so cute. <laughs> 
Maybe there's some stories we need to wait on. I don't know. But, but the, the point was, we would say, well, God had enough faith and God didn't really expect him to do that. But I've run into people who question, like, what kind of God would do that? And for me to go, well, he just wanted to test and see if he had faith. I'm like, there's got to be something more to this. I heard this story. Um, you know, I mean, think about human sacrifice. Human sacrifices, I mean, we've seen movies like this, right? We've seen movies with cannibals. You're like, whoa, this is really weird, this sacrificing humans, killing humans. Have we really thought about this? But I heard this story about this famous preacher who said that when his son was a teenager, he took him up onto this hill, and he sat down with him, and he read this story to him. And listen, I know this was with good intentions, but he read this story to him, and then he told his son, he says, son, I will always love God more than you. I just want you to know. What's that doing in your heart right now? Now I know we're going to go, Jesus said, hate your brother. He was talking to Jews who had a certain religion that was enticing people even after Jesus back out of the Jesus camp to this beautiful temple. He was saying, listen, you got to get into a new way. And that's for another time. But I want us to think this through for a minute. For me, that's, that's not a cool thing. I would never do that to my son. Now, if you're already turning off, don't yet, because we're going to go somewhere, and I think when we do, you go, okay, this is making more sense now, so just stick with me for a minute, because I know what we've maybe heard in the past, but let's dig in just a little bit deeper. So again, what kind of God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? I believe to get this answer, we'll first need to have a better understanding of the history of religion. I believe that this can help us to better understand the question. So early humans, say early humans, they came to this realization that their survival as people was dependent on things like food and water. Now for us, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? But I want us to get into the mindset of several thousand years ago, the mindset of people. There were cultures all around Israel at this time doing things that even Israel would copycat. Remember when they said, we want a king too? I've told you this before, but other cultures had gods, temples, covenants, arks that the covenants went in. This was not something new. Circumcision, other cultures, nothing new. But these were signs that made them feel like they were someone. They were a nation. They were a people. Okay? So at this time, they began to realize, okay, well, we have to eat and we have to drink in order to live. And for food to grow, it needs sun and water. How many know that, right? It needs sun and water in certain proportion. Too much water, things wash away. Have you watched the news lately? There's farmers who have lost complete, complete crops. I was at the gas station. I think I told you the story. I was at the gas station a few weeks ago, and I'm putting gas in, and there was an older gentleman on the other side of the gas. And I'm like, man, it's been a lot of rain. It's been crazy. He's like, yeah. I said, man, it's probably been awesome for the farmers. And he went, no, they're losing their crops. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm going to get back in my truck. Right, like I didn't know. I'm thinking you got lots of water, but it was too much water. It's the same with the sun. It's a certain proportion. Too much water, not enough rain. What happens? It wilts and it dies. So it's important to understand that they would realize, okay, we need to eat, we need to drink, and this thing called sun and this thing called water, it helps us to be able to have these basic needs met. So these basic observations brought people to the conclusion that they were dependent on unseen forces that they could not control for their survival. Now I want you to follow me here. We're going somewhere. The belief arose that these forces are either on your side or they aren't. So in other words, your crops grow or they don't. 
You're able to have kids or you're not able to have kids. Your animals stay healthy or they don't. So how do you keep these forces on your side? The next time you have a bumper crop, you take some of that crop and you sacrifice it to the gods. Why? Hopefully they'll stay pleased with you. See the connection? They're thinking, okay, the gods are pleased with us, so let's offer them a sacrifice. Why? Because you need the forces, the gods, the goddesses, the divine beings on your side. Now, imagine this. Imagine what happened when people would offer a sacrifice, but then it didn't rain. Or the sun didn't shine. Or their animals still got diseases. Or they were unable to have children. In their minds, they're thinking, well, obviously, I mean, this is their conclusion, They didn't offer enough. So they offered more and more and more. This was the culture. This was their mindset thousands of years ago. You see, you never knew where the gods stood with you. You never knew where you stood with the gods, we could say. The gods are angry. The gods are demanding. And if you don't please them, they will punish you by bringing famine, war, disease, Lack of water, lack of sun. Are you following me? But what if things went well? Because there's another side to this, right? What if it rained just the right amount or you had just the right amount of sun or you were able to bear children? What if it appeared that the gods were pleased with you? Well then, you need to offer them thanks. So it was this back and forth battle. But here's the question. How would you know if you'd offered enough? If things went well, you never knew. If you'd been grateful enough, you never knew if you offered enough. Does this make sense? And if things didn't go well, then clearly you hadn't done enough. You see the pattern here? Whether things went well or not, the answer was always sacrifice more. I got to sacrifice more. Give more, offer more. Because you never knew where you stood with the gods. And so here's the deal. You'd offer part of your crop. And you'd offer a goat. Maybe you'd offer a lamb. Uh, Maybe you'd offer a cow. Maybe a few cows. Maybe some birds. This is what's really beautiful to me about the the book of Leviticus. In the very first chapter, in the very first verse, God is setting up the sacrificial system. Now you've got to understand, I'm talking about sacrifice a lot, right? That's all they knew back then. And so what this did is it made them feel okay with the gods and it made them feel good in their conscience. So God said, hey, I'll work with them what you believe. And so there were five main sacrifices and we'll get into this another time, but what's beautiful is the very first verse, he says, when you bring an offering, in the Hebrew, it literally means this, when you draw near to me. Now listen, there was no God before that time that said draw near to me. They were always far and away, You never knew where you stood with them. This God, right from the beginning, was like, listen, I'm drawing near to you. You're drawing near to me. In fact, when the offerings burned, it became a covenant meal that we have together. Why? I want you to have a relationship with me so that in the end, you'll understand who I am. And I'm not like the other gods. It's absolutely beautiful the way that God would work this in because he worked with where people were. Does that make sense? So in early religion, in order to please the God, you, you had to keep on offering more. And think about this. What's the most valuable thing you could offer the gods to earn their favor? A child. 
can you kind of see where this child sacrifice came from? I mean, that's the best I have. Uh, the, the crops don't seem to work. The animals don't seem to work. If I offer my son or I offer my daughter, if I offer my child, maybe, just maybe, the gods will be okay with me. Well, well of course, uh, that's it. We got to show God our devotion. Barbaric? Yes. Twisted? Yes. But that's where they were in their mindset. So again, can you see how child sacrifice was so prominent, so integrated into ancient times and their systems? This is where religion took you, to the place where you'd offer that which was most valuable to you. Now back to Abraham and his story. When God tells Abraham to offer his son, I want you to realize something. He isn't shocked. Did you ever think that? Like, why wasn't the... Why wasn't he shocked? Why wasn't there a big argument here? Why wasn't there some type of like, God, are you? First of all, this was the promise that you gave to me. But, but look at his response, Genesis 22, 3. It said, early the next morning, this is immediately after God told him, he woke up. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He's ready to go. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, is this not morbid right now, thinking about this? Like you're cutting enough wood. Will this be enough wood to burn my son up? Okay, hopefully. No questions. He does it. He set out for the place God had told him. So Abraham gets right to it. He doesn't argue. He doesn't even protest. Get this. He doesn't even ask for instructions, which tells me Abraham knew what this was about. Is this clicking? Of course, he totally understands this. That's how Abraham understood the world and how it worked. The gods demanded that you give them that which was most valuable to you. And if you didn't give it, guess what? You would pay the price. That's how people saw things. So I believe Abraham was saying, okay, I guess you're just like the other gods. Let's go. We're going to do this. I want to keep on the up and up and I want to be good. But there's some little things in here I want to look at. So Abraham sets out. And then when they get to the mountain, what does Abraham say to the servants? Look at this, verse 4 and 5. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, this is Isaac, right? Go over there. But look at this next line. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you, say, did you notice that? He said we, not I. So there was definitely some trust and some faith going on here for God, but there was no argument because I don't know what was going through his mind. He might think, okay, I guess you're like the other gods, but this was a promise. So I'm just believing that we're both going to be coming back. So he's going to offer his son. That's what the story is about. See, what I'm seeing here is there's something more going on below the surface that, that, that is just begging us to see something. There's something more going on. It's deeper than this. So as they walk up the mountain, Isaac asks Abraham where the sacrifice will come from. Now imagine this. Hey, Dad, I noticed we don't have a sacrifice. <laughs> it's kind of morbid, isn't it? As many have understood the story, he's going to his death because his dad loves God so much. I mean, that's kind of what I thought. Well, I mean, God, he just loves God so much, he's willing to kill his son for God. Please tell me that you find this a little bit offensive, just a little bit. I have kids now, and it's like, this would be tough. Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Um, but look at what Abraham says. God will provide. It's as if Abraham is in on this. And then Abraham gets ready to offer a son, but then he doesn't because God stops him 
And then what happens? God offers a ram instead. End of story, right? No. Nope, it's not. It gets better. An angel shows up and says that Abraham is going to be blessed. And through your offspring, all nations, say all, all nations on earth will be blessed. Now back to the question. What kind of God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? Now an answer. Not this one. Did you catch this? Not this one. See, the other gods made the man your firstborn, but not this God. So if God doesn't want Abraham to offer his son Isaac, why all the drama? I submit to you that the test wasn't whether Abraham would obey. Rather, what was being tested was Abraham's discernment of the character of God. He was growing in his journey. What is this God like? Now listen, he didn't respond like, are you kidding me? He went, oh, okay. But there was still something there because he told the servants, listen, we're going to go worship. But me and the boy, we're coming back. So I don't know if he's thinking, I'll do it. He's going to raise him from the dead. Whatever. He made a promise to me. But, but something in the heart of Abraham spending time with God was like, this seems off. But it's like the other gods, so I'm going to follow through. But there's something, just something different about this God. But what did he learn here? This God doesn't require human sacrifice. You do not have to offer your children to this God. Isn't that awesome? I mean, was this a God of mercy or just another deity like all the other ancient Eastern gods who required child sacrifice? He got his answer this day. No, he's a God of mercy. And we know if we look later on through the law and even the prophets, they agree with what happens here by telling us that God prohibited child sacrifice. See, Israel, they went pretty wayward like we all can at times, right? You know that they began to offer their children as sacrifices to the God Baal, or Baal is actually how it's pronounced. And it's interesting, he speaks to Jeremiah, and the prophet Jeremiah says, They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. This is God speaking to Jeremiah, but look what God says. Something I did not command or mention, and get this, nor did it enter my mind. It never entered his mind. When they began to offer child sacrifice, he says, you forgot your forefather Abraham. I taught him a huge lesson and it was very dramatic so that he would really get the point when it sunk in. Stop. I supply the sacrifice. You don't have to. Can you imagine what was going through Abraham? First of all, relief. But secondly, yes, this God isn't like all the other gods. Did you get a Holy Ghost goosebump right now? Like, it's just so cool. Like God said, I'm going to work within the realm of your thinking, but I want to show you that I'm completely different than the other gods. There's three things that I really pick up from this. Number one, the drama in this story is the point. It's really the point. Abraham knows what to do when he's told to offer his son because this is always where religion heads. So at first, this God appears to be like all the other gods. 
The story is like the other stories about God's demanding acts of devotion, acts of obedience, child sacrifice, gods who were never satisfied. Can you imagine the first audience for this story? When they heard this, it would have been familiar, but then it was not because the story takes this shocking turn that comes out of nowhere. This God literally, literally disrupts the familiar story by interrupting the child's sacrifice. Now, could you imagine the early, an early audience hearing this, knowing what they knew? They'd be like a, like a gasp, like, are you, are you serious? The, the God stopped the sacrifice? That never has happened in all the history of the world that we know of. This is crazy. The gods don't do that. Why? Because they want what they want. They demand what they demand. And you never know where you stand with the gods. But with this God, you know where you stand. It's just so beautiful to me. It wasn't so much about, will you, be, will you obey me? And he was obedient. That's part of the story. But look at the lesson he learned through this. He's like, this God isn't like the other gods. Number two, the God in this story provides. See, worship and sacrifice was about you giving to the gods. That's how it was in culture. This story is about this God giving to Abraham. A God who does the giving? A God who does the providing? Do you know that this was a new idea for this time? See, we just hear like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That's really cool. I didn't have, whoa, whoa, you're missing the point. Yes, there was a demonstration of love when we see Jesus on the cross that he again was offering the sacrifice. We know we can go all the way back to Genesis and when, when man and woman, Adam and Eve, when they had you know, sinned and they had fallen into a condemnation and into shame and guilt, they went hiding, right? They felt we're naked. Who made the sacrifice? God. He killed an animal and covered their shame. God provided it. This is beautiful to me. This is really the story of a God who loves us so much. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll sacrifice whatever it takes to show his love toward us. And it's that love that changes us. It gets us to, to think different and to act different and to talk different. But man, if, if you're under this idea that God's angry and you never measure up and you're not worthy and you can never be worth him, you got to stop that thinking because you're going to act just like that. So what God's saying is you are worthy to me. But I see this, the God in this story, he provides. This is mind-blowing. This is groundbreaking. A story about a God who doesn't demand anything, but instead gives and blesses. This blows my mind. The third thing that I see here is Abraham is told that God is just getting started. <laughs> this is just the beginning of a whole new way of living. And that this God is going to bless Abraham with such love and favor that through Abraham, everybody on this earth is going to be blessed. Say everybody. everybody. Say it again. Everybody. Say everybody. Everybody going to be blessed. Isn't this awesome? Right, the, right here in uh, verse 18, it says, And through your offspring, I want you to catch this, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. See, your obedience has led you to a place where you see my true character. And now through your offspring, as you pass these stories down, guess what? I will bless all nations. It shows me something here that God's intention all along was to bless all nations. 
you know, Israel was just supposed to be like the poster child for what it's like to be in union with God, to understand that you are made in his image and his likeness. People were lost just like they are now in this world. They've lost their identity. They don't know who they are. Jesus says, repent, which is not groveling in an altar, hoping you're good enough. Repent means to change your mind. Even the term born again was a Jewish term. It meant change your mind in order to see not heaven, the kingdom of heaven, here now. Jesus said the kingdom is here. In fact, it's in you. So he was trying to get us to awaken to who we truly were. Sons of God, daughters of God. This is like mind-blowing, right? So what he wanted Israel to do is he wanted Israel to be full display of what it looked like to be in union with the one true God. And what that meant is you operated in peace, right relationship, joy, love, grace. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, Jesus didn't just say this stuff. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Why? It's completely contrary to the systems of this world. It is. And so even in my own life, I had to go, whoa, okay, that reaction wasn't kingdom. And so I had to remind myself, that's not kingdom. And guess what? It's a journey. I'm being trained. It's just so beautiful. So God isn't angry. He's not demanding. This God has intentions to bless everyone. Let that sink in for a minute. It might help change your view of that other person when you realize that God's intention is to bless all nations and all people. And maybe you'll talk to them differently. Maybe you'll strike up conversations or relationships with them because you're like, wow, they just lost their identity. this, This is the gospel story, folks to awaken people to the idea that God loves them and desires relationship with them. So we have this God who intends to bless all people everywhere. And think about it. What is required by Abraham? Trust, faith, belief. Not a sacrifice. Trust, faith, and belief. What is required of all people? Trust, say with me, faith and belief. No sacrifice needed, just the belief that this God can be trusted. Can you see all the new ideas in this one story? And maybe for you today, it was like, wow, I never saw it that way. But for the people of this time hearing this story, they would have been like, wow, this God is so different than all the other gods. He's not like Baal, he's not like Moloch. He's not like Diana, all these different gods and goddesses they would serve. Did you know that Abraham, when he, before he became Abraham, was Abram, do you know he was of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is actually modern day Iraq right now. It's located in Iraq. But you know that he was a moon worshiper and God still came to him and said, I see what you're doing there. Let me introduce myself. Isn't that cool? And then he asked him to do something that was like another mind blowing thing. He says, move away from your people. This was unheard of at this time. You stayed where you were born. That was your tribe. That was your protection. That was your survival. That's what you did. And God said, again, do you trust? Do you have faith? Do you believe? I do. Move away from the protection and the security and those things that you're used to. But look what God did do this. See, I believe that just like the children of Israel or Israel even as a nation, that as kingdom people, we need to make God 
on full display, have him be on full display through our lives. What does kingdom look like? And I'll tell you, it takes the pressure off. I gotta get out, I gotta, I gotta soul win, I gotta get people saved. First of all, you don't save anybody, Jesus does, right? But see, you're a vehicle. I think it's beautiful that we're included in the gospel message. But to see, it takes the pressure off because maybe it's just befriending somebody. Maybe it's getting to know them. Ask them about their kids, what's going on in their life. Get to know their story. And when you do, and, and that friendship kind of grows, what happens? You're able to speak into their life. What do you speak? Life, godliness, goodness, this relationship God desires. And then I found this, that when you have relationship with someone, they seem to listen to you easier than if you just got a picket sign and you're yelling and screaming through a bullhorn. I've not seen a lot of people come to Christ that way, but through relationship I have. So we still have work to do, right? Because it's easy to go in and go, oh, they're of the world. I don't want to be around them. Why? It's not like it's going to rub off on you. Just love them. Be there for them. I have so many stories. My parents' stories working in the hospital and working at GM, at AC Spark Plug. And same thing, just befriend people. Let them know that they truly cared, that they weren't just trying to get another notch in their salvation belt. They built relationship with people. And through those relationships, I've heard story after story of you bringing people into the kingdom, showing them who they truly were. See, that's how all of us can function. That's how we should in the kingdom. So think about this. This God provides... He intends to bless all people, and he's just getting started. Isn't that awesome? I want to look at one more scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. We see even in the cross here, God's you know, intention. It says, for God was in Christ. Say this with me. For God was in Christ... He, he wasn't away from Christ. He was in Christ, wants to get this, doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. It's not about us reconciling ourselves to him. He says, I'm going to reconcile, reconcile, by the way, just means to bring into favor. So God was literally bringing us into favor with him. He did it. It's a finished work. He was in Christ doing this. Look at this. No longer counting people's sins against them. This is beautiful. God's saying, listen, I'm bringing in a favor. Yeah, I know that stuff you did. Not worried about it. Does that take a little pressure off? It doesn't mean that, because sometimes I hear people go, man, you start doing that, God's going to get you. No, no, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, sin's going to get you. Right? Sin pays the wages. There's stuff built in. There's consequences. You can't just go off and cheat on your wife. You might end up in a divorce. You can't say, hey, grace of God, man. I mean, it's, it's not even remembered by God. Yeah, well, she's going to remember, and she's going to leave your butt. Right? So, I mean, there's consequences for making dumb decisions. But as far as God's concerned, do you know why God wants you to believe that you're completely forgiven? Because when we believe that, it's easier to come to him. Because you, you feel like it's a clean slate. We're good. You ever been in a situation where there's something there and you just didn't feel comfortable, but someone wipes the slate clean? You're like, that's what God's doing. He said, listen, I brought you in the favor. I wiped away all the sin, no longer an issue. And look at this. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It's a message that we can tell others about because we've experienced it. Isn't that beautiful? So will you trust? Will you have faith? And will you believe? That's the question. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your grace toward us. I thank you that it's those things that really become the fuel for our lives, that we no longer have to worry if you're okay with us. We never, no longer have to worry if we're, if we're good enough or worthy enough. You said we are because we're yours. We're your sons and daughters. It's a done deal. So I pray firstly that those who are struggling with identity, that Holy Spirit, you're showing them even now the truth of who they are. And then they then can start from that point living life. Because we live out of our identity. But we also thank you for, even in this message, I I believe that maybe some things were answered, some questions were answered, that as we pull things apart, we can see that the whole intention with Abraham and Isaac was to show us that you were not like the other gods. That you're a God who provides sacrifice, even on the cross. Famous words, no greater love is there than this, than the man would lay down his life for another. And what did you demonstrate on the cross, Jesus? True love. And God was in Christ reconciling the world. This is so beautiful. I just pray that that would stick with us this morning. I pray for every person here this morning that we would see who we truly are and we would lock into that identity and we would continue to learn and go on this journey. And maybe, just maybe, this series will help us to dig a little deeper into the scriptures to see what it is that you're trying to get across, what you're trying to say to us, even here and now in 2019. Now say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Say, I believe you. I have faith in you. And I trust you. Holy Spirit, continue to show me the areas of my life where I'm seeing things wrong, where I'm seeing myself wrong. And Jesus, mean this, I give you permission to heal those spaces and to heal those places in my soul. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.